0: Okay, well, good to see everyone this morning, and um, if you're new with us, just to let you know, today we're going to finish up a series which we've entitled, How Can I Know God's Will for My Life? Now, as I have uh, said repeatedly since we started this series, this is one of the most, if not the most often asked questions that pastors uh, get uh, from people in their churches. It's not, you know, the rapture or Calvinism, we get that too, but really it's much more basic. Uh, one of the most commonly asked questions is, how can I know God's will for my life? And uh, for this series, I said, look, we could spend literally weeks and weeks, months actually looking at this subject from a deeply theological, uh, kind of an exhaustive approach, and uh, that that would have been great if we had done that. I just felt like God wanted us to keep it simple. So with that in mind, I've condensed this study in the two main categories for knowing God's will for your life. First of all, the general or scriptural will of God, and then the specific or personal will of God. And last week we finished looking at the first main point, knowing the general or the specific will of God. And as we saw, uh, this point included you know, five things that uh, is God's will for all of our lives. For all of our lives, I'll just read them to you. You can go online, listen to the uh, the studies. But uh, number one, it is God's will that you go to heaven when you die. Number two, it is God's will that your life has meaning and purpose. Number three, it is God's will that you be delivered from destructive behaviors that are destroying your life. Number four, it is God's will that you turn your life completely over to Him to be used for His glory. And number five, it is God's will that you obey all that He has said so that he can bless you all that he desires now when we first announced that we were going to do a series that dealt with knowing God's will for our lives I know that a lot of people assumed that meant we were going to tell them how they could know God's personal will for their lives you know specifics and then for the first two weeks we taught from the Bible biblical principles on the subject uh, that dealt with God's will for everyone's life in general and I'm sure that that kind of put Many people off, might have even irritated some of them. I could just hear them saying to themselves, you know, while these principles from the Bible are great, obviously, I need to know God's will when it comes to things like, you know, which job offer should I take? How can I know which person is the one God wants me to marry? Uh, Where does He want me to live? Which house does He want me to buy? What ministry is God calling me into? And, you know, a million other decisions that affect my life and walk. I need to know answers to these things and while i understand that knowing god's personal will for our lives is important no doubt about it believe it or not it's secondary to knowing and of course doing his primary will which he has specified in the pages of scripture and let me just take it a step further by saying this if you're not serious about doing what god has already revealed to you in his word generally speaking why should he get serious about you and reveal anything else about his will for your life specifically I'm not talking about perfection either. I'm not saying that unless you're perfect, doing everything God has said in the Bible all the time without fail, you won't talk to you otherwise. I'm talking about sincerity, not hypocrisy. So A lot of people will say, well, I want God's will, but they have no desire to really do God's will. They want God to reveal to them specific things so that he can bless them more, but they really don't have a heart to read God's word and do what he has said in general. That's a problem, and that's what I'm talking about. And that's one of the main reasons we need to start with God's biblical will for our lives before we can determine his personal will. Because listen, if I just put it this way, a moving object is easier to direct than one that is stuck in the mud through laziness or moral compromise and or general disobedience. Remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 37 verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. A good man implies a man or a woman who is saved and is living in obedience to what God has already revealed in his word. That is the kind of Christian the psalmist is saying God will guide in the personal steps of his will for their lives. Now, let me just say this to start with. When it comes to God's specific, his individual, his personal will for our lives, I personally don't think he wants to micromanage our lives. I don't think God cares what you have for breakfast in the morning as long as it's not unhealthy. I don't think God cares what you wear to work as long as it's not immoral. I mean, I don't think God wants to get involved in our Unless you ask him, Lord, what, what can I wear this? And then he probably will tell you. Otherwise, he leaves those decisions to us. But I do believe he wants to lead us in matters that affect our lives in substantive ways. I know he does. Peter said that God wants us to listen, cast all of our cares upon him because he cares about us. All of our cares. Anything that affects us uh, in ways that are, again, substantive, he wants us to cast them onto him to seek his will, his direction. Jesus said that God knows the number of hairs on each of our heads. Now, why would Jesus tell us that? How is that information going to do anything for me the only reason i can think of that jesus would share that information and the only reason i can think of that god would take the time to count the hairs on each of our heads and if you're like me every time i brush my hair he's got to adjust the count so why would he want me to know he does that why why is he doing that very simply to let you know if he is that concerned about the smallest matters of your life don't you think he is concerned about the larger matters of your life. In other words, who you are to marry, what ministry you are to get involved in, and what job you are to take. Now look, I I say this because there are a lot of Christians who don't believe God has a personal will for our lives. I was shocked by this when years ago, I put together a similar study on this topic, how to know God's will. And as I was doing my research for it, I was shocked, taken back by how many i didn't know it was possible for christians not to believe god has a personal will for our lives believe it or not there are many of them out there who do not believe that god has a personal will for your life here's what they believe if you just keep the 10 commandments you just do that then you can pretty much marry who you want live where you want get involved with what ministry you want god doesn't care he doesn't get involved in those details well again if he's counting the hairs on my head, sounds like he's pretty interested in the smallest things. Why not the biggest thing that affect my life? That theology, guys, contradicts God's word in so many places. Let me just give you three. You have to turn to these. You can write them down. First of all, Jeremiah 10, verse 23. Jeremiah said, Oh, Lord, I know the way of man is not, listen, is not in himself. It is not in man who walks. To direct his own steps I don't know the way I should go I mean why should I wing it and that's what people do when they say well God doesn't have a personal will for my life I'm just gonna decide for myself where to go who to marry you're winging it why would you want to wing it when God says he'll direct you if you'll seek him Jeremiah says I don't know the way I should go Lord I'm not you you know the plans you have for my life Only you know the right paths that you want to lead me in to get me to those plans that I can fulfill your will. Psalm 143 verse 8, the psalmist said, cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. Every morning the psalmist says, in the morning the one thing I do is I pray that you will direct me, cause me to know the way in which I should walk for that day, the paths I should walk in. And then one of my favorites on the subject, Ephesians 2, verse 10. I'll read it to you the Amplified Bible, which says, We are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, which means born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he has prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live I mean that verse Ephesians 2 10 is dripping with God's personal will for our lives that God want has got a plan for our lives that God has mapped it out and if we will seek him he will lead us in the right paths that again will allow us to fulfill the purposes for which he created us all right so you're thinking okay then so I believe then God does have a personal will for my life how can I find it or in other words as I'm living my life and making decisions, how can I know what his will is for me? That's a good question. Let me start off by saying this. Now I've given you this example before, but it comes from a man named F.B. Meyer, great man of God with the Lord now. But F.B. Meyer tells a story about how he was on a ship crossing the Irish Channel one day, starless night, pitch black out, and he's standing next to the captain. Now he knows they have to make their way into Holyhead Harbor, which is just a narrow opening into this harbor and they can't see a thing and so he says to the captain captain how are you going to be able to find the entrance into the harbor you can't see anything out there he said well you can see something what said, see those three lights there they are channel marker lights what i need to do is position the ship in such a way as that all three line up as one and when all three line up as one i know i am headed right for the mouth of the harbor I'd like to expand that a little bit, as you know I would. I'd like to expand that illustration a little into six things, six markers for knowing God's will for our lives. Listen, not that they all have to line up for every decision all the time that we face, that's true, but um, for the most part the more important the decision, the more we will want most if not all of these markers to line up so that we can discern God's will, that we be on the right course and not run our lives a ground, as so many have, in it. Uh, I'll give you these. I won't spend a lot of time on these. I think many of them are self-explanatory. All right, the first marker we look for in knowing God's uh, specific or personal will for our life, there must be a, a definite conviction in your heart. Look, when I'm trying to know the will of God, the, one of the first things I look for is, do I have um, a sense that God is in it, uh, that God's hand is on this thing, that I have a burden or a conviction in my heart that he wants me to proceed in a certain course of action. I think of Nehemiah. You can read Nehemiah chapter 1. But Nehemiah was a cupbearer in Persia. And 90 years earlier, the captives had been released from Babylonian captivity as the Persians conquered Babylon. And the captives, whoever wanted to, was allowed to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild. The Babylonians had sacked the place. They had leveled the temple and the city. It was nothing but a pile of rubble. So 90 years earlier, uh, the captives had gone back. Some of them, of course, had died since then. But the idea was that uh, Nehemiah had a burden to know how the work was going. So when his brother got back, who had just come from there, he asked him, well, how's it going? And the brother said, not good, man. The walls are still not built. The enemy comes in and hassles the people and robs them and, and, and so on. When Nehemiah heard that, his burden increased exponentially, and he began to pray and even fast. And he prayed for months, fasting periodically, until one day God opened a door for Nehemiah himself to go back to Jerusalem to orchestrate or to oversee the rebuilding of the walls. He had a burden to do this. And then God confirmed God was in the burden. But we have to be careful here, guys, and I have to balance this out. Because a burden in your heart is good. As a starting point to know if God wants you to take a certain course of action or to do something or go somewhere. But again, we have to be careful because the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Our hearts are deceitful. And often our hearts want to do things that we convince ourselves is God's will. Now, if we hear that voice inside of our heart, or we feel that burden to do something. You can't really trust that alone. Sure, if if you combine it with other markers, yes, it's legitimate. But it's too flimsy in and of itself to make important life decisions based on a feeling or an impulse or a conviction even. Because an impulse or maybe an inner voice whispering to you could either be a, it might be the imagination of your own heart. Read Jeremiah 23. Sometimes we want to do something so badly we imagine God is telling us to do it. I've seen this a lot with young people who are absolutely convinced that the person they uh, want to marry, who is an unbeliever, these are Christians wanting to marry unbelievers, and they want it so badly that they imagine God is talking to them, telling them it's okay. I know my word says you're not to do it, but I'm giving you special dispensation. It'll be okay. You go ahead and marry the unbeliever. That's doing something out of the imagination of your heart. Or it might be flat out the devil impersonating the voice of God, trying to get you to do something. Remember when um, Jesus told his disciples at one point, look, I'm going into Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be crucified. On the third day, I'm going to rise again. What did Peter do? Took him on the side and rebuked him. "Whoa, Lord, this will never happen to you. Ah, you've been working hard. I get it, Lord. You're under a lot of pressure. You know, this is just not from God, though. you got to understand this. What did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Look, there are times when Satan will try to impersonate the voice of God in our hearts. And it sounds logical, but be careful. Something can be logical, but not biblical. So be careful, all right? Or number three, you might be hearing the voice of God. Remember Elijah, when he ran from Jezebel down to the wilderness and hid out in a cave. And God spoke to him. So said, what are you doing for me in this cave? All right, go outside, I want to talk to you. And eventually God spoke to uh, Elijah in a still small voice, right? Sometimes that little inner voice might be the voice of the Lord, uh, getting you or trying to impress upon you to do something, go somewhere, do something for him. Listen, conviction in the heart is a good place to start. They ought to put that on a coffee mug or something. Uh, conviction in the heart is a good place to start. But you need further confirmation from the Holy Spirit when it comes to important life decisions. And that brings us to number two. Whatever This is the second marker we look for to determine God's will for our life. Whatever you're planning on doing, listen to me, it can't violate the clear commands of God in Scripture. Very important. And we just touched on it a moment ago. The second principle for knowing the will of God is that nothing can be the will of God that is contrary to the word of God, period, all caps, exclamation point. Look, the God who is leading your life in the present is the same God who inspired the Bible in the past. And consequently, nothing can be his will for your life that conflicts with his word. Nothing. One author said, and I quote, He, God, will never lead a husband to leave his wife for a more spiritual woman, or a wife to leave her husband for a more spiritual man. It won't happen. That is not God. God will never lead you to cheat on your income tax in order to give more money to the church, end quote, and things along those lines. Look, again, I was telling First Service that years ago, Cindy, my wife, was speaking at a women's retreat somewhere in the Midwest, and she was telling me the story when she got home. And uh, during this meeting, one of the meetings at this retreat, uh, a woman stood up and proclaimed that God had told her to leave her husband and teenage children because they were all unsaved. And at that time watching the sitcom Friends, how horrible, they all should have been stoned on the spot. (laughs) But God told her because they were all unsaved and watching Friends, uh, she needed to be around more spiritual people, therefore she was to divorce her husband and leave her kids. Look, I even heard a woman say that she believed God was telling her to leave her family indefinitely because God told her to be a missionary in Africa, and so she was going to leave her family to go be a missionary in Africa. And look, if she would have counseled me, I would have told her, that is definitely a get thee behind me satan moment, or at very least, you know, uh, you're listening to the imagination of your own heart. Look, if you've got small kids, this is not the season to be a missionary in Africa unless God leaves the whole family over there. In the meantime, finish this phase of your life for him, this ministry, of, of your life he's called you to raising your children and after they're grown and they leave the house if God lays it on both you and your husband's hearts to go to Africa great so be it's a new it's a new chapter in your ministry for him but let me just say this to you God's word is very clear that when we make a commitment to him we are to obey everything he has said and especially when it gets into the uh, vow we made to our spouse we are to stick by each other's side I know some people justify getting a divorce for spiritual reasons. Uh, This guy's holding me down. I know God could use me so much more if I wasn't chained to this bozo. I'm cutting him loose. God told me it was okay. You're not hearing from the voice of God. You're not. Because God has told you you are not to divorce your spouse unless there is infidelity. And even then you don't have to you can still work it through by his grace. So I don't care how noble or spiritual the reason sounds for disobeying God's word, it's never as well. Number three, and this is not so much a marker as it is a principle that leads us to markers. You must stay in close fellowship with the Lord. Look, the third principle is just as important as the first two. The principle of staying close to the Lord in your daily life if you want him to lead you in his individual will for your life. Look, it doesn't make sense for a person to think God's going to lead their lives personally if they're off in the world, backslidden, carnal. Get right with God first. Stay close to the Lord every day. And he will lead your steps in life. But first things first. Remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 32 verse 8. He said, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. That was the psalmist's way of saying he wanted to tell us, look, if you stay in close fellowship with God, eye to eye with God in a sense, where God has to just move his eye a little bit to direct you, in other words, his direction in your life is so subtle because you're so close to him, that's what he wants. If you go back and read the whole psalm, the context is, don't be like the stupid horse and mule, which have to be controlled by bit and bridle, an instant of pain in the animal's mouth that the rider has to jerk on the bit uh, using the bridle to jerk the animal's head in one direction to get it to turn because it's so stubborn that it has to be inflicted, pain has to be inflicted uh, upon it for it to do what you want it to do. The psalmist is saying, don't be like the horse or the mule. God doesn't want to inflict pain in your life to direct you. He wants you to be so close to him. All he's got to do is just kind of look over here with his eye, and you're like, okay, Lord, I get it. You want me to go this way, but listen to me. If God is to guide us with his eye, he first must catch our eye. This means that we must look to him regularly throughout the day as well as through periods of personal Bible reading and devotion. You know, there are there are many Christians who go through their entire day without thinking about or talking to God at all. Now look, I, I am definitely not the most spiritual guy in the world. I admit that. But one thing I've always done is I've always brought God into my daily routine i'm always talking to the lord i'm always praising him if i'm not singing from the radio praise song i'm thanking him for the day i'm thanking him for this or that i'm asking for strength cuz i've got to go over here and minister or whatever it might be i'm always ta- i'm thanking him i am always talking to the lord i want i wanted to create a consciousness that says look god is with me and and the more i bring him into my personal life the more he's going to be able to direct my personal life. See, this is the thing. If you want God to lead your personal life, you have to bring him into your personal life. Otherwise, how can he lead you if you're really not looking to him at all? Number four, fourth marker for knowing God's will. Always check your motive in making any important decision. Is Jesus at the center of it or is self at the center of this decision? What is your motive taking that big promotion? Is it to use your new position to be a brighter, more visible witness for Jesus? Or was the prestige and higher salary the driving motivation in your decision? Now listen, I'm not saying that money can't be any uh, factor in the decisions you make for the Lord with regard to what job you take. But for many Christians, it's the only factor. That's what's wrong. It's not that you can't say, well, Lord, I got two job offers. One is offering more money. Now, it would be easy for me to assume that one's the one you want me to take because, after all, don't you want to bless me? But a spirit-filled Christian will not do that. They will say, I got these two offers. One is a good, sizable amount of money more than the other one. But, Lord, the other one may be a real mission field that you want me. There may be a lot of people you're working on there. And by, by me taking that job, I could really be used by you. Which one do you want me to take? See, this is how a spirit-filled person looks at a circumstance. They don't just use money, prestige, bottom line. I know I've, over the years I've, I have met several Christians who were going to our church faithfully, and then a job opened up in some area. They had to move away into some maybe a rural area. And I asked them, well, is there, is there any good churches there? Uh, well, I don't know. I really haven't checked, but you know, I believe this job is from God. And a lot of times they move into this area and there's no good Bible teaching churches. So are you going to tell me God's going to take you from a good Bible teaching church and plant you in the boondock somewhere where there's no church? That's his will for your life? But I hear this all the time, you know. Well, I believe God gave me this job to bless me and my family or to bless my family financially, really. Is working 60, 70, or even 80 hours a week, including Sundays, where you have to miss church? And maybe even in the process, lose your family because you're never home. You think that's really God's will? Even though you're making a lot more money? The devil would love to give you a lot more money to destroy your walk and your family. It's not wise, some of these decisions we want to make. I've told you this story before. Let me tell you again. I, we had a gentleman in the church years ago. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. I love the Lord. And um, he had a successful business. And that, one of the Sundays he was at church, I happened to be teaching out of a passage where it was talking about learning how to be content with whatever God has given you. So after service, he asked if he could speak with me. I said, well, sure. So we went down to the, you know, the main entrance area where there's some tables, sat down, and he really took me to task. He, see, he believed God was leading him to expand his business fourfold, quadruple it. Now, look it. This guy had a very successful business, was doing very well for himself, had a beautiful house, uh, beautiful vehicles, um, was able to take wonderful vacations with his family. I mean, you know, uh, doing very well. And he felt that through the teaching, I was kind of being used to uh, guilt him from doing what he believed God wanted him to do. And I said, look, (laughs) I'm not your Lord. If God is telling you to quadruple the size of your business, by all means, do it. But you had better make sure you're hearing from God. Because I have seen many men like you, who were doing very well, decided to expand greatly their business. And in doing so, they had to work, you know, 70, 80 hours a week, never home, never able to come to church anymore. And eventually they lost their marriage, their family, and then their business. I'm just warning you, be careful. Some of these decisions that people are contemplating entering into, scripturally, are not wise. Let me read to you what Paul said in Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 17. He said, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, listen, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, implying God's will is never unwise. It's always wise. Now, I like what Charles Stanley said with regard to this. Let me read it to you. He said, and I quote, God has called us to ask of every invitation, every opportunity, every business transaction, every family decision, this important question, is this the wise thing to do? In light of my present state of mind, in light of the present state of my relationship with my wife or with my husband, in light of what's going on at work, in light of what's going on in my life right now, is this the wise thing for me to do? In light of where I want to be in the future, in light of the kind of marriage and the kind of family I want to have, in light of where I want to be financially, in light of where I want to be in terms of my career, in light of where I want to be in terms of my ability to serve God, is this the wise thing to do? Stanley says this question will quickly reveal your motive. It will reveal the selfishness in your relationships. It will reveal the greed in your financial decisions, end quote. Very true. Very true. We need to stop and ask ourselves some pointed and often piercing questions about where's my motive with this? Is this thing I'm contemplating doing, is it really a wise thing? And obviously, if you're thinking about having an affair, that would definitely fall into the category of unwise because, you know, believe it or not, I knew a pastor, super spiritual guy, always was hearing from the Lord. Everything he wanted to do, God told me. How do you argue with that? have got that shuts down the debate or the conversation god told me well god told him he was to leave his wife and marry a gal in the congregation his wife had back surgery she's downstairs on the couch recovering her good friend the one that they want to marry each other came over to help her through this difficult time and while she was on the couch taking a nap they were upstairs having an affair It got so twisted, the the woman who he was having an affair with had a wedding dress in her closet waiting for the day when God would give them then the green light to proceed. But they were both convinced God told them to do this. Very unwise, sinful, wicked. Number five, fifth marker in knowing God's will for our lives. Do the circumstances indicate that God is leading you? As you pray about important... An important decision keep looking for what the Bible calls open or closed doors let me read these to you in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 9 Paul said for a great and effective door has opened to me and there are many adversaries Colossians 4 3 meanwhile praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. Acts 16, Paul is on his way across uh, Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, uh, in search of God's will, okay? Or he's actually got it in his head where he wants to go, thinking that's what God's going to use, you know, going to use him in these areas, right? And uh, it says in Acts 16, verse 6, now when he had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mycenae, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. Now in 2 Corinthians 2, Paul is recounting this. And he said in verse 12, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me by the Lord. So what is Paul saying? Paul is saying, look, he just couldn't go wherever he wanted. Again, this idea that if I'm walking with the Lord, I can just wing it and go do whatever I want in his name and know that he's in it. Well, that's not what happened with Paul. Paul had a heart for the Lord. He was walking in the Spirit. He decided to go north. Spirit shut him down. Decided to go south. Spirit shut him down. Say, well, how did the Spirit shut him? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he got sick, uh, put on his back for a while, had time to pray, and he realized, no, 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 this is not where God wants me to go. Believe me, the Lord (laughs) has ways. The Lord has ways, all right? To direct you, and if you're going in the wrong direction to, you know, have you bounce off a closed door. So how do I know a closed door? When you bounce off it, you'll know it, okay? Just trust God, but Paul bounced off a couple of closed doors before he found the open door of God's will. Now, an open door would be a favorable circumstance, suddenly coming across your path where God seems to be saying to you, this is the way, walk in it, Isaiah 30, verse 21, look most of you have heard this story before but bear with me i see new faces this really uh was a a testimony that we um as a church kind of uh, entered into we've you know talking about uh, uh do circumstances indicate that god is in something for you to pursue it and go forward uh, 14 years ago we were approached to go on radio now radio is expensive and back then we were just making ends meet i mean just we're breaking even every year we didn't have any money to go on radio but you know a guy in the church said, i think god's leading you into it i know a guy at salem radio and would you be willing to sit down and meet with him okay well i'm open to anything god wants uh, not knowing if god was in it or not but we sat down at that time uh, there was one slot open it was a 15 minute slot tuesday through friday and uh, the price tag for the year was like $32,000. $32, <laughs> $32,000? Are you me? Okay, all right, well, you know, we'll leave a little faith. So I just came back and talked to the pastors. We didn't bring it to you guys, you know, we just didn't know what God wanted us to do. Brought it to the pastors, we began to pray. A couple weeks later, I think, maybe a week, I get an envelope in the mail from a couple that had gone to our church a few years earlier, had moved to England with his job. They knew nothing about the radio, nothing about anything we were praying about. Open up the letter. There's a check in there for $10,000. Now, guys, there are churches that get those offerings like every week. A small church like ours, that was really unusual. And so based on that, we believe, all right, Lord, it sounds like you're in this. And we're going to take a step in faith. So I called the guy. and said, yeah, we'll take the slot. Still not sure. (laughs) You know, you take the step in faith. You're still a little shaky. Lord, am I... driving the church off a cliff here. That's a lot of money. I think you're in it, but wow, I'm not sure. Uh, Take a step in faith, though. About a month later, we received another check in the mail, different family. Again, didn't know anything about what we had been praying about. This check was for $22,000. It covered the entire first year of the radio ministry. Well, of course, by that time, I'm not the sharpest spiritual pencil in the box, but even me, I figured, okay, God's definitely in this, okay? (laughs) And we've been on the radio ever since, and God keeps providing. Look, you know, these are things you look for. Um, Do the circumstances indicate that God is leading you in a certain course of action? And uh, then number six, six marker, look for confirmation. And and these are not in order of importance, by the way. So this is not, you know, the lowest importance on on the list. I'm just saying, okay, this might be the first thing you want to look for. I don't know. But number six, look for confirmation of some kind from the scriptures. Something that the Holy Spirit shows you that seems like a clear message from God to your heart individually. Now, I'm sure, I know it's happened to me, I know it's happened to most of you, where you were praying about something. You know, something that you weren't sure God's in it, God wanted you to do, but you're praying about it. And then you open your Bible, you're doing your morning devotions, and a verse jumps out, and it's like, wow. It's like the Holy Spirit is just, it, this is what I needed to hear. Or maybe somebody approaches you, they don't even know you're praying about something. But in their devotions, God spoke to them and said, give this scripture to so-and-so. You'll walk up, give them the scripture they reading, and go, oh my gosh, God just spoke to me. God spoke to me through you. This is what I've been praying about. This is the answer, right? And this has happened numerous times in my life, and I'm sure for many of you. Look for confirmation from the Word of God as to whether or not God is in something. Look, in closing, let me say this. Don't let others make important life decisions for you, no matter, listen, no matter how spiritual you think these folks are. There are people that are a little overpowering, if I can put it that way. God love them. They're a little overpowering, spiritually speaking. They're like a freight train. Either you're going to jump on board or they're going to roll right over you. And Maybe one of these folks comes to you and says, "God told me that you are to sell everything and go be a missionary in Africa." So get over there. <laughs> the wrong thing to do is to go. Oh wow, boy! I know that this person is really a spiritual. They really hear from the Holy Spirit. I better sell everything and get over to Africa. No, no look, I, I had a guy one time. I was telling first service. I had a guy one time come to me and uh, say, "God told me I'm to preach." this Sunday. God told me I'm to preach this Sunday. I said, well, when God tells me you're supposed to preach Sunday, you can preach. God never told me. Look, these kind of people can be used by God to confirm something you're praying about, confirm it's God's will, or even to get you praying about a certain course of action that that God may want uh, you to take, but they must never be allowed to make a decision for you that's going to affect your life in a substantive way. God won't lead your life through so-and-so. He'll lead your life directly through his spirit. He might use so-and-so to confirm something. He might use a brother or sister to get you praying in a certain course of action, but he will never use them to make an important decision for you without speaking to you and directing you. Very important point. Basic, but we have to talk about it, okay? And remember this the Bible says, he who believes, a believer, will not make haste. He who believes will not make haste. What does that mean? If you are a child of God, you believe God's on the throne, you believe God is sovereign, and God, you believe, is leading you to make an important life decision. Don't you think he'll give you time enough to pray about it? This idea, well, I've only got this small window of opportunity. I got to make the decision right now. I got 15 minutes. The window's going to close, the opportunity's going to be lost. i got to hurry up and make a decision. Hope God's in it. I've had more people tell me. I made the decision, than I prayed. Wrong. (laughs) It's like jumping out of a plane and trying to find a parachute. You pray, and then you move. You pray, and then you move. This idea that you have to rush a big decision. Look, that's the devil. He's trying to get you to rush an important decision because if you rush it, well, he can better mislead you, misdirect you away from God's actual will for your life, down some side road where you're going to get all messed up. He who believes shall not make haste. Why? Because our God's on the throne. He's sovereign. And if it's that important, he'll give you time to pray about it because that's what he wants you to do. And guys, once again, as I said at the beginning of this study, all of these markers don't have to line up for every decision. But certainly the more, the imp- more important the decision, the more you're going to want uh, to wait for God to give you enough markers so that his will is clear. Listen, beyond a reasonable doubt. I have to say that. Beyond a reasonable doubt. I say that because some Christians let the fear of making a mistake paralyze them into inaction. Where they're afraid to make, listen, any important decision for fear they're going to make the wrong decision. Step out of God's will somehow and bring upon themselves terrible consequences. Let me assure you, God wants to lead your life more than you want him to lead it. Often God is giving markers. He is leading you in a certain course of action. But some people get so worried about blowing it and making the wrong decision that they're not gonna do anything unless God basically writes his will in the sky with flaming letters. Probably not gonna happen. I'm not saying never, but I'm saying probably not gonna happen, which means at one point, if God's showing you these markers, At one point, you're just going to have to take a step of faith. Again, the steps of a good man or woman are ordered by the Lord. Well, what if it's not the Holy Spirit? Well, if you step off the path that God is leading you on and you make a wrong turn, God knows your heart. God knows your heart is not full of rebellion and uh, self-will. You really want God's will. You step off the path of God's will and get off a little bit in the weeds. He'll redirect you back on the right path. I mean, our God loves us. He doesn't say, "Oh, you took a wrong step there. <laughs> Good luck. I'm writing you off now." Oh, come on! I mean, you know what is the concept of God here? You know, your loving heavenly Father, knowing your heart, knowing you want to be led by Him, and you make a little misstep. He's going to punish you for it. I get you. He's the shepherd. Remember, the shepherd's got the staff to kind of get the sheep back on the right path. That's what he'll do. Remember, guys, it isn't those who have a tender heart to know and do God's will that get into trouble. It's those who kick the doors open that God has closed, they get into trouble. In other words, the rebellious. Years ago, when Cindy and I first got saved, we got saved with another couple. We all came to Christ at the same time, and we just loved this couple. You ever meet uh, somebody, if you're a couple, you meet a couple, and you're so much, your hearts are knit instantly. I mean, the first time we started talking to these people, I felt like I knew them for years, and we just became best of friends. And at that time, we didn't know of a church yet. We were looking for a Bible-teaching church. Didn't, we didn't know of any at the time. So on Sundays, we just go to each other's houses. We rotate and spend the morning reading the Word and fellowshipping about the Lord all day long. And then after a few months, this couple decided that, you know, they wanted to move to California. They were convinced God was in it. Looking back, I know is what they wanted. And so they put their house up for sale. They had a nice house right here in the, in the area. And uh, somebody made an offer, here we go, and it fell through. And somebody made another offer to get excited, and it fell through. This happened like three or four times. Well, after like the third time, I'm thinking, the Lord's closing the door here. I don't think he wants you to go to California. But they were convinced he was leading them. After the third or fourth time the thing fell through, I'm not kidding you, she threw a major hissy fit. (laughs) It was really something to see. I mean she, like a little kid she started stomping screaming railing against God you don't love us you're not a good God really railed on the Lord about three days later another offer came in household they kicked his door open they went out to California he got involved in the rock band renounced his faith they got divorced I don't think either one of them are walking with the Lord anymore I don't know what their lives would have been like if they had stayed right here how God would have used them God would have grown them and so on I do know this. It's not that you can't do what God is telling you not to do. We have a free will. Who closed the door. You want to kick it open, that's up to you. But if God's will is best and he says no, and you kick the door open and you say, I'm doing it, okay. Know this. The way of the transgressor is what? Hard. The way of the transgressor is hard. If God's ways are best. What am I doing? Kicking doors open in demanding my will over his. My will is only going to lead to something far less than his best, maybe some real heartache in the process. Let's be honest, guys, we're done. The reason so many Christians get into trouble and reap serious consequences in their lives isn't because they don't know the will of God, it's because they do know the will of God but refuse to do what he has said. I always think about the godly priest Ezra, and it says in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, the word of God is what it's saying, and listen, and to do it. See, Ezra was the kind of a person that studied God's word because he had a heart to do what God had said. If you have a heart to study God's word and you purpose to do what he has said in his word with all your heart, understand God will lead you even when you don't realize he's leading you. Ever had this happen? Where you're doing something throughout your day. You're going somewhere. You're, you know, and all of a sudden something happens to disrupt your schedule, take you off of your schedule. I mean, something happens. Uh, you blow a tire and whatever, and you're upset. You had this meeting. Now you're going to miss the meeting. You're upset about it. You call AAA and they send a tow truck out. And as you're, you know, the guy's hooking up your car, he looks and sees the fish in the window. Are you a Christian? Man, I've been reading the Bible, I don't get it. Can you help me? Boom. Look back and go, God was in that flat tire. (laughs) God was leading me, I didn't even realize it. Look, plan your day, go about your business, but be sensitive to God's divine appointments. People and situations that he will lead across your path for his purposes. Guys, let me just say this. If you seek to incorporate these things in your life, faithfully to discern God's will, and very important, you cultivate the heart of Jesus in the matter, The one who said, I do always those things that please my Father. That's my whole goal in life, to do what pleases my Father, to do His will, to do His will and finish the work of Him who sent me. If that's your heart, I guarantee you, you will always be led by Him in all you do. One more final scripture, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I'm sure most of you know it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do. Pray, seek him. And he, listen, will direct your paths. That's a promise. He will direct. There's no reason for you to get way off out of God's will unless there's rebellion there and self-will. If you are wanting God's will, he will show you his will because he wants to lead our lives in the right paths. So may God give us grace to have that heart Otherwise, again, the way of the transgressor is hard. and God is saying we can do this the easy way or we can do it the hard way. I'd rather do it the easy way. You obey me, and I'll lead you. But if you want to do it the hard way, we can do it that way too. It's messy. It's painful. I'll eventually get you on the right path. But you will be a bloody mess. Do you want that? <laughs> Let's just do this the easy way. Obey me, and I'll lead you. Amen.